Hello, I'm Arafat. I'm in the UK. And I'm Mohammed, and I'm in the US. And you're listening to Slow Pit Stop. My other problem with him playing the music is he always plays it just into his own head and bops his head along, but no one else can hear it. Oh, well, that's weird. Last time I was on, he Oh, no, I didn't do it right. Is that what you were saying? You oh, always my do this. You always do this. You always play the music just for yourself, but no one else can hear it. And you're sat there going, bobbing your head along. Hello and welcome to another episode of Slow Pit Stop. You're joining us for the Belgian Grand Prix review. I'm Arafat and as always I'm joined by my co-host Mohammed. Say hi Mohammed. Hi Mohammed. And not as always but often, maybe not often enough, we're joined by Canadian Red Bull fan Adam. Hi Adam. Hello Mohammed. <laughs> <laughs> How are you both today? Oh, yeah. I mean, life is good. Yeah, I've, uh, as Arafat has alluded to, I have moved back to Canada. So the Canadian transplant to Boston has been retransplanted. It's not really clear to me whether I still have to take my immunosuppressants for that, but I'm going to just err on the side of caution and keep them up for now. I am uh, super depressed. And if I burst into tears during this podcast, um, I will just mute myself and then you can ignore me as I cry into a corner. This is a unique situation for Adam because he's been on our podcast before, but never while we're doing a group therapy session. So welcome, Adam, to our Team Lewis Hamilton group therapy session between me and Arfat and our listeners. Thank you very much for having me. That's wonderful. Before we go on, I think congratulations is in order. <laughs> Not just for uh, a career milestone, which Adam has reached, which uh, no one cares about, uh, but more for a purchase <laughs> you've recently made. <laughs> Oh, shoot. Yeah. So uh, this has actually all come together very nicely here. Just showing up for a Red Bull win, um, showing up for taking the lead in the slow pit stop fantasy league. All coincidence, because this was actually, we uh, organized this before any of that. But yes, I'm also doing my pre-purchase inspection on a Honda S2000. Um, Just finally joining Honda Racing, you know, for many of us, high school fantasy and yeah. Finally, uh, after 17 years of school, making money. Adam isn't a real Red Bull fan. He's a Honda fan. I'm going to say that to make myself feel better. So that's why he bought the Honda. Otherwise, he would have well, bought a Red Bull. That, that, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, uh, I, might, I might still put some kind of like Honda, uh, Red Bull uh, accessory. I don't like to ruin collector's items. Maybe I'll just put it on my scrub cap. But uh, no, you're, you're actually right. I mean, I think I said when I came to the first episode that I was a Honda fan and I was a McLaren Honda fan and I had to make a difficult decision. <laughs> um, and I'm still, you know, part of my character growth is I'm realizing I don't necessarily care that much for Max. Like he's cool, but I want to check out to win this race. And I, I think I'm becoming more of like a strategy and R&D fan. So mm. like I yeah. identify more as like an, an, like an Adrian Newey and Hannah Schmitz fanboy than I do like a Max fan. So, I think this is the equivalent of, you know, when people watch football, they they have their favorite footballer or something, you know, someone they look up to as they're growing up. And then their generation of footballers becomes the managers. And rather than the footballers yeah. so much, they, they, they're more of a fan of the manager and the team and that kind of thing. So I, I guess we're just approaching that stage. And yeah, I guess when Lewis stops racing, I won't have any particular allegiance to a driver and I'll just be like watching to see what happens with the teams. Yeah. And it's becoming increasingly difficult to like uh, George Russell. (laughs) Why, why are there so many? Okay. Before we get into the episode, somebody needs to explain to me why there are so many George Russell haters on the internet. He just seems like. He was so cute and like such a nice underdog as a Williams driver. And the minute he switched to Mercedes, like he just literally cannot walk without strutting. (laughs) <laughs> like the arrogance is through the roof say whatever you will about the topless pictures anybody could do that carlos Sainz looks even better and he doesn't want it <laughs> um the paparazzi flaunted it for him but uh yeah i just like the arrogance is so bizarre uh, i guess I'm it carlos was always Sainz, there but... i drive for ferrari and i am better looking than george <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly well i mean gosh carlos and carlos we, we, nobody ever talks about the fact that charles and carlos are the same name in two languages so Carlos and Carlos or Charles and Charles are definitely the most <laughs> handsome drivers. Like, yeah, Charles Leclerc. You know, I, I will say like, this as as a straight man, 
Charles Leclerc is gorgeous. He is Adam so Adam looks attractive. a little bit like Charles Leclerc. Yeah, it's funny you say that, actually. I think, so, I, think yeah. I, I kind of yeah. do have that. Uh, do. And my best friend and, my, and me, uh, uh, Josh and I, we... Uh, we t- we like sort of role play as those characters so if like carlos he's a he's like a he's like a tall brunette with 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 uh brown eyes and so like when the race is over we'll send memes to each other and i'll send him a carlos meme or something and i'll be like you did great today you know your, your three <laughs> your three fans showed up and then he'll send things to me and be like oh tough race for you you spun on it for no reason so yeah that's partly why I roll RP uh, Charles in the uh, in the donuts and drivers. All the all the ladies listening to this are like, "What does Adam look like?" You can go listen to our latest episode of Donuts and Drivers, the Diamond Heist. It's on YouTube. Not that good media to get a look at all of our faces. We do face reveals. I'm not as attractive as Adam or Charles Leclerc, so that's just the hmm. the truth. Uh, Arfa, what are we talking about today in our episode? Yeah. So now that we're like I don't know, five ten minutes into the episode, should we should we do the introduction? So yeah. <laughs> we're gonna open up with some news and the things that have been going on. Then what we're gonna do is get onto talking about some top stories from the race. So obviously the Lewis Hamilton crash, and I think the meat of today's episode we're gonna maybe get into what is going on with him and Alonso and why is Alonso so salty? As everybody on Twitter keeps telling me, we'll touch on Red Bull and Ferrari. I think everybody knows what we're going to say about Ferrari. And then we'll round off with our F1 Fantasy League. So in the news, the Oscar Piasco continues. Today at the time of recording, his case <laughs> went to some court. What's it called? CRB. Yeah, it's the Contract Review Board. And, and it's like Formula One set this up a while ago because like every single team has an army of lawyers. And they knew that if contract negotiations get weird... Then instead of, you know, going to court in different countries with huge teams of lawyers, let's set up an arbitration board that is run by the FIA that we all agree is going to handle all contract disputes. We don't keep suing each other in court. So that was the whole point behind it. And uh, they've taken it. And and all the drivers agree that whatever the arbitration board says is what we're going to go by. So finally, CRB means in the UK. Yeah. A contract review board. I think they're in France. Because they're FIA. CRB here is the Criminal Records Bureau. They, <laughs> they hold everyone's criminal records. So like if you're an employer, check in with them to see if this person that you're hiring has a criminal record or not. I'm sure, trying not to make the usual Australian joke because I'm sure they're sick of that. <laughs> That's so funny. Do you know what CRB stands for in America? Uh, I'm trying to guess things. Chicken, ribs, buffalo. <laughs> Not, yes, mm. that's what it's that's what it stands Ours for. Ours is a Canada recovery benefit. It's the money you get for just like um, recovery, existing. having experiencing <laughs> a loss uh, in your employment due to COVID. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, you know, proper welfare states that care about its citizens. Yeah, it's cool. It's oh, and in, in America, the CRB is the Copyright Royalty Board. Hey, okay, there we go. If the CRB stands for anything interesting in your country, messages on Twitter. We'll read it off on our next episode. <laughs> so, good. Adam, why do you think Alpine is going to the CRB about uh, Oscar Piastri? Why not just let him go? Well, I mean, I, I think that the narrative we've been hearing, which I think is quite understandable in some ways, is that they raised the guy. You know, when you have somebody who's on your academy, they don't just wear your sweater. You spend millions of dollars training them and helping them through the various uh, junior formulae, which, of course, uh, Oscar, Oscar has smoked in quick succession. He is obviously dynamite. And so they, they're probably pretty annoyed that they put all this investment in him only for him to seemingly defect to McLaren. Like, I guess we don't actually have that information codified, but where else could he possibly be considering Um I think in this case, I think they just want money from McLaren because it's pretty clear that they don't like they're, mm-hmm. they've moved on. They don't need Oscar Piastri in their second seat next year. But I think they God, want the like money. He's, he's obviously yeah. amazing. Yeah, but I think they, they want the money from McLaren. They want they want the CRB, the Copyright Royalty Board, to step in and say, yeah, McLaren owes Alpine Chicken $15 million. Dollars. Chicken ribs in Buffalo. They want they, they they want to say that you know you owe fifteen million dollars to Alpine. Then Alpine can yeah. use that fifteen million dollars to buy mm-hmm. whoever from whatever team to fill in their seat. 
They'd like to make it as painful as possible. I mean, yeah. the chances <laughs> that that would actually make McLaren give up are obviously low because Oscar is gen- seems generational. But I mean, for some people, maybe that would be discouraging enough. The, the thing that I think we are all been debating at this point is, you know, it was Mark Webber who's obviously coaching Oscar and giving yeah. him advice about what to do, screwing him. Because, I mean, are any of the three of us expecting McLaren to be better than Alpine next year or the year after or the year after? But I, I think what it was is that, like, Alpine, it was such a question mark whether or not he was going to get the seat from them. And then mm-hmm. I think that he had, I think he had already signed a contract with McLaren. So he, maybe he couldn't get out of the Before McLaren the Alonso contract. announcement, you mean? Yeah, I think before the Alonso announcement, he yeah. signed with McLaren. And so, therefore, he was stuck in a position now where he can't get out of that. So I think Mark Webber said, yeah, let's just we'll go with McLaren and we won't go with Alpine, but you know, you're right right because Alpine is on a trajectory upwards and McLaren is on a backwards slide. You know, you look at qualifying and Alpine qualified Mercedes, both cars. I think Piastri signed with McLaren anyway, because he didn't want to go to Williams, which is where Alpine were going to put him. Mm. Mark Weber, who uh, likes to play poker with this man called Fernando Alonso, I think (laughs) said, drag Alpine along and wait till the 1st of August when our little clause expires and then all of us can jump ship and their previous manager the person that managed Fernando and managed Mark Weber, Flavio Briatore Ooh, who's obviously Bond villain yeah, mm-hmm. um, he, I, I just feel like this has all got a, a touch of Flavio all over it but yeah I don't think Alpine want Piastri anymore and what I'm blown away by is all of this should have happened behind closed doors, right? For Alonso to not tell his team that he's leaving and just have Aston Martin announce it. And then for Piastri <laughs> At least to put out a tweet, <laughs> yeah, told put out a tweet saying, oh, by the way, they announced this without my permission. I'm not going to drive for them. That next part year. Like, is such a debacle. Like, like he just shot himself in the foot so bad because, yeah. you know, he could have just phoned the team and go, hang on, a situation is playing out. We need to resolve this amongst ourselves. And, you know, then they could go to the CRB privately or whatever else, but this is all playing out publicly. It's made a difficult situation for Danny Ricardo as well, because then it suddenly became obvious he's being dumped and McLaren mm-hmm. haven't been able to make that look like a, a planned announcement. You know, like when Valtteri mm-hmm. was going to leave Mercedes, yeah. they waited for Raikkonen to announce his retirement on his terms and then for Valtteri to say, well, I'm going to go there and replace him because that's an exciting new project. And yeah. things are coordinated for the sake of PR and making everybody look good. Whereas this, they just made Danny Rick look bad. So it was a PR nightmare for McLaren. And then, yeah, Piastri, now he just looks like this will follow him everywhere for the rest of his career. Does he look that bad, though? No, no. he. Do- well, I think the way he put that tweet out and the way he handled it, because... That was probably literally something that Mark Weber texted him, by the way, because yeah. he's 16 <laughs> years old. No, genuinely, right? Like his handler said, you don't change a word of this. Let's say three, four, five years down the line, McLaren has tanked it and Alpine is mm-hmm. the place to be. How does Piastri yeah. get back to Alpine? He's burnt that bridge. I don't think he has burned the bridge. Well, hold on, a couple things. One, I don't think he burned the bridge because there's a good chance, not a good chance, but there is a chance Daniel Ricardo can go back to Alpine. All right, I know it's not mm. a great chance, but there's a chance he does that. And I thought he burnt his bridge. And two, uh, my question is, how much money is McLaren putting on Oscar Piastri? They are really banking on him being like Max Verstappen because fifteen million dollars to buy Daniel, fifteen million dollars to buy Daniel Ricardo out of his contract, another fifteen million maybe to pay the penalty to Alpine. That's Thirty million plus whatever salary they're paying for Oscar Piastri, whatever he's gonna demand. Yeah, he'll he'll get paid nothing. Well, not nothing, but he'll have a low salary to start with. But still, the penalties and it's thirty million dollars. Yeah. yeah, and what you're citing, Mohammed, like that could also be the, you know, you could actually interpret that as an example of how Alpine does not forgive and forget because the idea that we are now hearing in the news that maybe Gasly is a priority over Ricciardo, Ricardo. Yeah. Um, kind of shows that maybe they don't forget when you turn your back on them and there's no way back for Oscar. Now, other things are at play. Like there's so much like racial musical chairs, you know, like yeah. when Reichlinen retired, I bet he said, I want a fin if I can have a fin. And there goes Valtteri. And, you know, Alpine is probably thinking if we can help a Frenchman out, we should help Gasly, who's kind of stuck. 
there's so much um, of that is real. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, that's one one force that's probably at play. But the other one definitely seems like Alpine is a team that holds grudges if they're. Uh, you know, like Alan Prost is gone, Cyril Abitable is gone. Like it's all new people. I just mm-hmm. don't know that they really hold grudges like that. But I have to ask, how good is Piastri? Obviously, he won F2 and he won F3 in one year. But have, have, is there anything else that, you know, has really shown him to be that generational talent that everybody's talking about? We, we could be overrating him. You know, I guess, um, to be fair, Charles Leclerc and George Russell also had meteoric rises through the junior, junior series. So maybe it's not fair to to portray Oscar as the only one to do this, but his was particularly quick. Oscar has done really well. You know, he's won Formula 3 first time trying, and then he won Formula 2 first time trying. I mean, this is stuff that's literally comparable with the career of Nico Hülkenberg. <laughs> Gosh, Nico was, was great. I really he didn't see that coming. <laughs> I really didn't either. Our hot's too good with the trivial knowledge. I just couldn't, I couldn't hang. Uh, so where do we think Daniel's going? We're, we're, let's all let's uh, give predictions out. Wait, so Arafat said Daniel was going to stay at McLaren a couple episodes ago. He said nothing crazy. I'm wrong about happen. every any future predictions. I can't do. <laughs> future stuff no idea but for now i'm gonna roll the dice on Haas. yeah all right adam where do you think daniel's going out i think that um he he doesn't i don't even know he doesn't strike me as one of these guys who needs to hang out if he's going to be with a team that's not competitive Um, so i'm going to say that if it if your spot if your options are Haas versus williams you just leave yeah, I think he's going to take a sabbatical as well. I don't think we're going to see him in a seat next year because I think he doesn't want to do Haas or Williams. I think he wants Alpine. I think Alpine wants Pierre Gasly. But then that's a whole, like, okay, if Alpine takes Pierre Gasly, who gets the AlphaTauri seat? Then Yeah, that's what I was going to say. What if they offer him the AlphaTauri seat and he just has this absolute mental breakdown that he's going back <laughs> to the junior Red Bull team? <laughs> Like first of uh, all, I don't think it would happen because I bet that if, if there's happen. anything that no. that does not forgive, does not let go of grudges, it's probably Helmut Marco. Yeah. So yeah. he probably would be like, "Not over my dead body." Will our, will no, he would do it actually. He would team. do it just for the jokes and the humiliation. He'd be like, "I'm gonna put you in Alpha Tauri, and uh, we're making Yuki the number one driver." <laughs> and they're gonna make they're gonna make Daniel move out of the way for Max when he's coming through. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Hi there, Daniel. Uh, Yuki is faster than you. Yeah. <laughs> Team orders. Oh my god. <laughs> but then you can see that kind of logic. You know, these teams like to do that. Where they're like, "Oh, Yuki is our future, and he needs an experience. Like he's the K Mag of AlphaTauri." I want to ask you guys one more thing, and then we'll move on. So, in the beginning of this whole debacle, a, a report came out that said four teams were reaching out to Daniel for a seat. We now know three of those teams, uh, Alpine, Haas, and Williams. Who do you think that fourth team is? It's not going to be Mercedes, Red Bull, Alphatori. or Ferrari. Alfa or Alfa Romeo? Alpha, I was saying Alfa Tori, but yeah, I guess if if they can afford to live without the the Chinese government's millions, then maybe <laughs> Joe's in jeopardy too. Well, Alfa Romeo announced that they're splitting with them mm. at the end of 2023. Splitting and the with implication who? with Alfa Alfa Romeo is dumping Sauber because Alfa Romeo don't do oh, anything. Yeah. They're not a works team, are they? They're just they're the Sauber team with an Alfa Romeo badge, right? And they're positioning themselves to move towards being the Audi works team, right? Correct. So if I was Danny Ricardo's manager, I don't know who his managers or what. Of all options on the table, the gamble I would take is let's try and take either Bottas or Joguanyu's uh, seat, get in the Alfa Romeo. Mm-hmm. tolerate it for a year and then start the audi project and go as far as you can with audi wow yeah i don't, so I don't mind that I like, like two that. years i would say they do he did two years with audi the way seb did two years with yeah Aston. 2024 they're going to become audi so either he takes a sabbatical comes back for that project if he can convince yeah, them that's a good prediction see i actually think that could happen here's my prediction 99 to 1 betting odds you ready for this yeah Daniel Ricardo is probably most famous for being a man who is Italian in name only. And Ferrari. we talked about all the nepotism about this. Okay. So I'm going to say Daniel Ricardo, 2026, the number one driver for Mario Andretti Formula. 
<laughs> if that he's would allowed be sweet. in, if he's allowed <laughs> so, in. So, so, Alexander Rossi and and uh, Mario Andretti and Daniel Ricciardo, the, the the treble of fake Italians. Yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> he should go do IndyCar, make a relationship with Andretti, and then come back. Yeah, there you are. He's obsessed with America anyway. He can he can keep the exactly. handlebar no, mustache. I think that would make him happy. And he can smoke Grosjean, which is just everyone likes to see that. <laughs> but I was talking about Audi coming in. Um, yeah, yeah. And I like Mohammed saying, you know, go back and listen to our episode 20, where, which is titled Legend of the Silver Arrows, where we talk about one of the, the, the first Audi Grand Prix cars. But Adam, you had some other news about engine manufacturers. I had uh, two actually. What I, what I want to close off that thought because there was an amazing, like really, really mean tweet from Audi, which I think we all saw where they said, this will be the first time in however many decades yeah. that a German engine is made in Germany. <laughs> and I was, it was obviously throwing shade at both the possible Porsche announcement and the you know, longstanding manufacturing of the Mercedes team in, in England. So that was some deep shade, and I loved that very much. <laughs> yeah. But the surprise twist, um, which is kind of tickles me, is that at the 11th hour before we recorded this, we've heard that possibly, rumor says, that the talks with Porsche have broken down. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. hear that. Yeah, so that's pretty, pretty exciting. Christian doesn't um, want to let go of his 50% control. Is that yeah, what it I is? I wouldn't. Something like that. Well, I think so. People were saying on the internet, like, you know, f1 twitter insiders were saying that oh the deal is already done they're gonna announce it any day now like i'm surprised to hear that the talks have broken down completely i mean you know honda i know they've said that they want to transition to sustainable hybrid electric etc but they would be fools to walk away from the level of dominance that's currently being displayed by the honda powered team it's mad that they've not got their name on that car what are they doing i don't understand yeah, it's weird. They're certainly, I don't imagine they're working that less hard than they were before. And they have a small logo on the side now. Very, very peculiar. Why don't we get into the race? Yeah, so the race started with Max Verstappen starting in P14 because there were 5,423 penalties applied <laughs> to every single driver everywhere. Um, and the reason everybody chose to take the penalties here was because you can overtake. And so Lewis Hamilton went for an overtake on lap one around Fernando Alonso to get up into P3. P2. And P2, yeah, sorry, P2. And he was suddenly airborne. And I had that moment where I was like, no, Alonso, what are you doing? Uh, and then we mm-hmm. watched the onboard and you see actually there was nowhere for Alonso to go. Um, it was Lewis that crashed into him. And Lewis, when he finally got back to the paddock, apologized and said, you know, I take responsibility for this. He was in my blind spot. I didn't see him. And just like that, the race was over. I think I'd been waiting all summer break, hoping that Mercedes would come with more speed because everybody knows my my only hope for this year is that Lewis gets one win so that he keeps his record of winning a race every season. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, even if he'd finished the race, I think the best he would have done would be P3, maybe mm-hmm. P4. So yeah. I'm just like, what's the point of even finishing the rest of his race? I don't, I don't think he will win a race this year, and I'm really sad about that. Um, but I think how he handled himself, how he took responsibility, um, how he dealt with the media, constantly annoying him about Al- Alonso's remarks, I think he's still a an exemplary character. So definitely... I don't think anybody saw how fast Red Bull was going to be this race. And specifically, Max Verstappen was on fire all weekend. Free practice one, two seconds faster. In qualifying, he was like six tenths faster than Sergio and a full second faster than Carlos Sainz. Like he was just on fire and he cut through the field like, you know, a hot knife through butter. It was like there was no other cars and he was just driving up to position. That's almost what it felt like. And uh, kudos to him for an extremely dominant win. But, you know, I think it's interesting and and good to say that everybody, including Max, thinks that this race was an anomaly and they're not exactly sure why Red Bull was so fast. I mean, obviously, Red Bull, Mm -hmm. they expected to be fast, but I don't even think Christian Horner was saying, like, even he doesn't think Zanbort is going to be like this because he just doesn't. 
he like they were just incredibly fast all weekend and especially Max. So I think that if you're a Mercedes fan, I don't think you can look at this and go, yeah, this is the new normal and this is what every race is going to look like. And yeah, we're two seconds slower than Max in the Red Bull. So there's no point. I don't think that's the case. Even Ferrari was saying that we were slower, but you know, we think we're going to be more competitive in the, in the coming races. I do think that the, the win is still possible. And I think this was just a really, really demoralizing, you know, race for Mercedes fans and for Lewis Hamilton fans. I agree with you. And I think the signal was quite clear in qualifying because you basically had, you know, more or less, you had the Red Bull clearly, you know, dominant, even if we had, you know, um, Max refused to to toe Checo or or whether the team decided that was the strategy. That bothered me a little bit. But nevertheless, you know, this was a straight line speed track. We saw Red Bull more or less eclipse Ferrari and we saw Alpine more or less eclipse Mercedes. And Mm -hmm. I think those are actually somewhat analogous because everybody, so people observed, I think it was at Baku that Alpine had the greatest Mm -hmm. straight line Mm -hmm. speed of any car. This time it was, oddly enough, I think somebody said it was actually Williams, but they have too many other deficiencies. <laughs> but it just goes to show you that it's not cut and dry because, you know, as a Red Bull fan, I had kind of this one of the similar feelings that you guys experienced now in, in Austria. Like the Ferrari was so all over Red Bull in such a clear way. Like they were so, they were so much more powerful mm-hmm. that I just felt kind of hopeless. And I thought, you know, this is everything I've been saying Ferrari have thrown everything away on strategy, but they're obviously better when when they're making the right calls. And it was super stressful for me. And now I think, you know, essentially what the pundits have said have, have come to pass, where if you have a straight line track, you have Red Bull with the advantage. Yeah. And if you have a quote unquote high downforce track, you're looking at Ferrari. And maybe we'll see the same thing kind of shake out with Mercedes versus Alpine. And so with the right constellation of events, you have a high downforce track and you have a Ferrari strategy error maybe you still see Lewis take a win I really hope so and you know one of the the you know when when Lewis was airborne I you said you had that moment where you're like no it's Alonso I literally shouted out no at my like television screen I just went no I I don't know I it's just it's like a very weird confliction of emotions because I'm so disappointed but I'm disappointed in the guy that I really look up to and that's like the worst feeling but I don't know, everybody makes mistakes. And but I think I, the I think... thing is, like, I remember Lewis in 2011 when he was making lots of mistakes and it, it felt like him and Massa were crashing into each other every 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were shouting at each other in the paddock during interviews and stuff. And it was like, what is going on here? It felt like Lewis was unraveling. But actually, this Lewis, who's so much more confident and sure in himself um, and so much more secure, the way he handled it and said, no, I'm taking mm-hmm. responsibility and we're going to move forward and whatever. I think you have to admire that. And, you know, that's come with maturity, with how he's transformed as a person. And you, I think the biggest example of this is how well he handled the the speeches and things after mm-hmm. Abu Dhabi last year. Totally agree. Um, whereas, you know, 2011 Lewis Hamilton would not have been so magnanimous so I think he, he can still be proud of his character and how he deals with that. And mm-hmm. there's still lessons for us to learn, you know, for the mistakes that we make in our life. This all led to Fernando's radio message, which I imagine we have to discuss. So <laughs> what I hope is about to happen is Adam, master of impressions, is going to read it out in his best Alonso. We've not heard you do an Alonso before. I know you can do a, you can a do Sergio. Christian Horner, you can do Charles Leclerc. Sergio Perez, you can do Carlos. <laughs> you are that guy on the internet. You know the guy that does all the impressions? That that is. No, Adam. I'm not that good for sure. For sure, I'm not that good. <clears throat> yeah, I haven't really thought about doing an Alonso before, but let's see. So we got the script here. Yeah, what an idiot. Closing the door from the outside. I mean, we had a mega start, but this guy only knows how to drive for starting first. <laughs> that's so good okay Mohammed. Like I, I know you've just played the alonzo clip um so adam now that you've had listened to it we need you to do it for yourself <laughs> uh, i do just great. absolutely love radio rewind i watch every one of those uh, f1 tv replays yeah. it's my it's yeah. the best yeah um, the only the only spanish accent i like more is sergio's first win with um racing point Oh, where he yeah. was like, oh, 
I'm speechless, guys. I say that like weekly. I just love that <laughs> line so much. Um, Arfa, you were talking a little bit about Alonzo and being salty and whether he's being salty and why a little bit before we were started. What were you saying? Yeah, so I put Alonzo and then I put hashtag diabetes insipidus in our notes. <laughs> <laughs> this this is a podcast only for medical people in Formula One. That's not so freaking um, But yeah, so Mahabadi, you you haven't been watching Formula One as long as me. Uh, no. And I just wanted to chat about, do you know where, or what's your understanding of where the Alonzo Hamilton tension Beef. comes from? So what I believe, I mean, they were teammates in 2007 and Lewis beat him, obviously won the championship in 2008 and beat him on uh, like finishing positions in 2007, although they were tied on points. And I think the idea was just that Fernando was like the hottest thing since toasted bread because he beat Michael Schumacher and he was a two-time champion and he was coming in and he had a good car with McLaren. And then this like young upstart hotshot beat him. I feel like that's where the beef came from. So there were lots of specific flashpoints in the year that were tense for the team. There's a great five-part article from Andrew Benson on the BBC, which you wrote when Alonso retired the first time around. And, you know, he talks about the tensions of 2007. So it starts at the Monaco Grand Prix where Lewis felt that he was the faster car and should have been allowed to race Alonso and had a better strategy in the pit stops. And he was supposed to pit five laps after Alonso or something, but he pitted three laps after. And he was convinced that if they'd let him run his strategy, he would have come out of the pits ahead of Alonso. And he Mm. believed the team purposefully put him into second place and then told him he wasn't allowed to race. Some Mm. people have looked at the data and gone, actually, Alonso would have won anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Lewis came out with all this stuff about, well, I've got number two on my car and things like this. Mm-hmm. And then the real difficulty came at the Hungarian Grand Prix where Lewis, basically back then you could refuel the cars, right? Mm-hmm. And so the fuel that you had at the beginning of Q3 was the amount of fuel that you would start the race wow. with. So yeah. you would start Q3 with loads of fuel. You would do these like fuel burning laps to burn all that fuel off. So that then your car had no fuel, set a qualifying lap as light as possible, but then be able to put all that fuel back in yeah. for the start of the race. So Lewis went out first and there was radio. Alonso came out just behind him and said, look, Alonso's got all this fuel on board. He needs to burn it off. We need you to let him pass so he can go do a, a fuel burn. Yeah. And Hamilton didn't let him pass. And then Ron um, Dennis, the Boston McLaren came on and said, you need to let him pass because he needs to burn off this fuel to set his qualifying lap. And uh, Hamilton, again, even though the boss was on, didn't let him Hmm. pass. So then Alonso was like, what is happening here? He backed right off. So he's basically a lap behind Hamilton. And he came Hmm. into the pits when Hamilton was supposed to come into the pits. And he came and he sat in his pit box, changed his tires. And instead of just going out, he just sat there for 10 seconds. And Hamilton was like, what's going on? You're holding me up. And like, you know, like it was like, it looked like the world's clumsiest double stack. Yeah. This um, was in the race or? No, in qualifying. In qualifying. Okay. So then Alonso holds up Hamilton and then randomly just leaves the pits. Uh, Hamilton changes his tire and stuff, but because he's been held up for 10 seconds, there's now not enough time for him to get across the start finish line and start a lap. Wow. So he gets knocked out of qualifying there and wow. Alonso goes ahead and takes pole wow so hamilton's dad then goes to the stewards and is like what is this you need to punish alonso so alonso hmm. gets a five place grid penalty wow this would so have been then, incredible to watch live yeah so alonso <laughs> yeah so alonso then goes and talks to ron dennis and says you need to punish hamilton put him in his place we're gonna lose this championship if you make the two of us fight each other and essentially, that's what they did. Ferrari won it. But hmm. he said, you need to punish Hamilton, make him run out of fuel in the race. That was his demand. And he said to Ron Dennis, if you don't do this, I know that you have 800 pages of illegal documents from Ferrari that you should not be in possession of. 
I will go public with this information unless you make Lewis run out of fuel. What is this, like, crazy bad guy energy? That's so crazy. Well, so Ron Dennis then, you know, being threatened with blackmail, outs himself. He goes to Max Mosley, the sort of Bernie Eccleston's right-hand man at the time. You know, he's doing the role that Stefano's doing at the minute. And he goes, yeah, we've got this illegal stuff from Ferrari. We shouldn't have any of this information. So then McLaren gets thrown out of the Constructors' Championship. They finish in 10th place that year. In 2007? Yeah. Wow, I did not know that. That's why when Lewis won... This is Spygate, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's when when Lewis won the championship the next year, they had cars number 22 and 23 because they were at the back of the grid. Um, So... Yeah, Ron Dennis collapsed his own team to stop Alonso from doing it. And that's when everything broke down and Alonso just was like, yeah, I'm going back to Renault next year. So that wow. that was the huge amount of tension that 2007 was. Um, was he was Alonso at McLaren in 2008 or no? No, he left. He did one year there and went back to Renault. So 2008 was uh, Hamilton and Heikikova line and Hamilton won the championship. Uh, that's how uh, that became a great tradition of Lewis humiliating Finnish people. Yeah. <laughs> Just essentially destroying their their promising careers. Heikki was supposed to be the next Wunderkind. Like it's yeah, wild so how was he was destroyed. Finnish, and then I suppose Valtteri. Jensen Button wasn't Finnish. Valtteri is Finnish, and well, Nico Rosberg's dad raced under a Finnish flag. Nico is sometimes Finnish when it suits him. <laughs> and sometimes he's German when it suits him, and sometimes he's Monegasque when it suits him. And Jensen is what they call Finnish passing, if I'm up to date on the you know progressive literature. <laughs> that's, that's considerable privilege. But do you think Alonso has held on to that all that? Yeah, what, what, what are you going to say? Well, Mom? before that, I want to react to this because I knew about Spygate. I knew that McLaren had stuff on Ferrari, but I didn't know how much it tied into the whole blackmail and the whole I want Lewis to run out of fuel. I had no idea. It sounds like the plot of Cars 2. That's so crazy. That's that's how that happened. Um, you know, so it makes sense that people say, you know, Fernando Alonso has been salty since 2007 because you do get these, like, flashpoints of him sometimes getting mad and saying things at Lewis. I don't know in this case, though, if that was necessarily what happened because, again, like, it really wasn't his fault. It was Lewis's mistake. And in that moment, you don't know if you have damage. Like, he doesn't know if he has damage. He doesn't know if he's going to have to retire himself. So he's going to get frustrated and say, like, ah, oh, this guy mm-hmm. only knows how to win. All he does is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on his mind. He ain't yeah. ever given up. <laughs> and I, so I also <laughs> agree. I think it was something, like, I know a lot of people right now in Lewis Hamilton land are upset with Alonso. And, you know, Lewis has even put up today on his Instagram a video of the the thing about people respecting each other and there's a video of their Alonso saying, you know, we have to respect everyone in the F1 family. But yeah. I, I dug up a whole bunch of other interviews that Alonso has done. I'm just going to read out some of these quotes. So this was when Lewis was coming up to win his fifth championship and Alonso said, Lewis winning five now and being the same as Fangio, I think it's a great achievement. I think if one had to do it, do that in our generation, I'm glad that it's Lewis because he showed the talent and he showed the commitment. When the car was dominating, he delivered and wins the championship. And when the car was not good enough to win the championship, he still puts in some performances to show his talent. And that's difficult. And That's nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then I, there was another year. I can't remember which championship this was, but this was when Alonso had retired and was away in um, with Toyota racing in Le Mans. And he mm. said, Lewis is at the front because he is the best. He's performing a little bit extra than everyone else. It's true that Mercedes is the best car, but that's not his fault. I understand the comment. It happens to any driver in the world. I was in Toyota last year and winning Le Mans, and apparently it's because only Toyota could win Le Mans. It's true we had the best car. We performed better than everyone else, but there's still 24 hours where anything can happen, and it didn't happen to our car or us. We executed well in that moment, and I know if I was in another car, maybe I would not be able to win. Lewis knows if he's in another car, he will not be able to win. We both understand we need the machinery. So he's kind of just talking about this yeah, is racing. Right. You know, he says you, it's about the whole package. Where is it? Yeah, he goes, he knows he needs the best package as well. I understand the fans. They're always searching for the best driver. And in Formula One, is very difficult sport because all the cars are different. So you need to search for the best package. And they, as in Hamilton and Mercedes, are the best. 
And in 2012, when he was asked about who do you worry the most about a rival for this year in terms of the championship, he said, Hamilton is the only one who can win without a top car. The others win when they have a top car. Otherwise, they don't win. So he said all this stuff about Lewis. And I know sometimes he does actually take snipes at Lewis. I've seen him do videos where he makes fun of Lewis's Lewis's, uh, fashion sense and things like that. So I don't think he's... Lewis his biggest fan, but I don't think he's as salty as we make it. I think he's a little bit, and I think, I think he is petty. And I think the reason he's not a six, seven-time world champion is because what Schumacher had and what Hamilton has is the ability to lift your entire team. Remember when we watched the Schumacher documentary? Mm. Like Schumacher knew the names of the people in the cafeteria, and he could inspire everybody around him. Alonso leaves the team without telling them. Hmm. And then when they're like, oh, yeah, he's in Greece. We can't contact him. He uploads a video to Instagram being like, no, actually, I'm in Spanish. Uh, sorry, I, I'm actually, I'm in Spain <laughs> and uh, my internet connection is fine. Like he trolls his own team. And I think his ability to navigate the politics isn't there. He's just a pure driver. And that's yeah. why I said, you know, if Alonso had been born 20 years earlier and drove in the 70s and 80s, I think he would have won a lot more because mm-hmm. he could have leaned on just his driving skill. Whereas I think the thing about now is building teams around you. Um, it, it's that thing, it's that difference between, you know, Jordan and Kobe, where Jordan yeah. was just like, I will carry everything and this is my way of doing it versus Kobe like Bill's a great team around him and lifts the people around him. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that that's probably why, in some ways, it's a kind of poetic. That's why Michael Schumacher and Lewis Hamilton are at the same number of drivers' championships now, because mm. I think they were the only, only two who could do that. You could say Prost could to some degree as well. But having, you know, you talk, you talk, I listen to some of these Beyond the Grid podcasts where they talk to engineers rather than racers. And there's often this kind of, extremely fond memory of Michael as somebody who touched every part of a team. Yeah. Mm. And, and Lewis at least approaches that. And that, yeah, that, that does seem to be something that nobody else has. I mean, maybe Fettel was starting to uh, develop that or later on, but, mm. but it was, it was well after he, it was a team that he could galvanize to do anything meaningful. Let me ask you this, Arafat. So, bringing the fight to Max and obviously we are Mercedes fans and I think everybody including Ferrari has lost faith in Ferrari to bring the fight mm. to, to Red Bull but Mercedes next year you know I was listening to Sam Bird on Checkered Flag and Sam Bird uh, formerly eraser for Jaguar after Bahrain he brought up a really good point he said that he didn't think Mercedes was ever going to be fighting at the top this entire season and that was like pretty uh, dynamite at the time because everyone thought, oh, by Silverstone, they'll be back. Oh, by Spain, they'll be back. But he said, no, I don't think they're going to be back all season. I think this is something for them next year. So he said after this race that he was 50-50 whether or not Red Bull would, would run away with the current regulations and dominate till 2026 or if Mercedes yeah. could bring a fight till the you know at the beginning of next year. So I wanted to ask you, Arfa, do you think uh, Mercedes will abandon their current concept, go back to their a car and and be more successful next year are they going to double down on this no side pod i asked our fans on twitter and 67 percent said they think mercedes will drop the side will will get put the side pods back on and 33 percent said they no they think they're gonna get rid of them keep them off what do you think are so all three of us are doctors so i'm going to give you a medical analogy Okay? okay i live for these the patient is unwell, right? The patient's unwell. You are giving treatment A. Treatment A is not working, okay? Do okay. you give more of treatment A? Have you just underdosed them? Or do you switch to treatment B? So the question really isn't, do you give more of treatment A or treatment B? That's, you're not guessing that. You've got to go back and go, what is the diagnosis here? Have I got the diagnosis right? And I think it's one of these things of the new regulations. Has Mercedes got, because the porpoising was a big surprise, right? Mm -hmm. So clearly in all their simulations and the wind tunnel and whatever, they weren't, either they knew about it or they didn't know the extent of it. Mm -hmm. So it's, I don't think randomly 
changing the concept is like, you know, if a patient's not getting better, you don't just randomly change the treatment. Mm-hmm. You review, have we actually got the diagnosis right here? Hmm. And if you've not got the diagnosis right, then you change. So Mercedes need to go, well, why do we not have the correct information? Why did the porpoising catch us out? Why, why, you know, they kept saying, we don't understand the car. We don't understand the car. If they've said, we understand the car, and this is the limit of this concept, then you could go, okay, it's time to change. Mm-hmm. So for me, I don't really care whether they change or not. It's they need to understand, are our tools correct? You know, are our simulations correct? All of these things. And then once they diagnose the problem, then they can give the solution. Mm-hmm. Adam, you shook your head. You gave me a big shake no when I said that Red Bull would run away with it till 2026. Yeah. Why, do you, why do you think that? Well, I just, I mean, first of all, I think that Ferrari is competitive and I don't think they can, they can doom themselves forever. Just all, mm-hmm. obviously a lot of people feel that way and <laughs> that's understandable, but um, I mean, Ferrari are just faster on every high downforce track as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that like, you know, one of the things that I've been considering quite a bit is, you know, strat- Ferrari's strategy is not that good right now. Okay. Obviously. But it's mm-hmm. also the fact that Red Bull and Mercedes do such an incredible job that the standard for a victory is essentially perfection, mm-hmm. right? Like when last year in those in those few races where Mercedes and Red Bull were had seemed to have equipotent cars, it came down to subtle strategic decisions, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. were awesome to behold. And I, mm-hmm. I can't imagine that Ferrari will, will, won't improve at all. It's just, it's depressing that that even now they're giving Charles the wrong you know the wrong tire at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Like that's really shocking after after a little bit of a rest and an ability to to collect your thoughts over the break. But I just don't see them dropping the ball entirely. They clearly have a, a potent car now compared to previous regs. Mm-hmm. And and then the other part of that is just that it's it's never reasonable to count out Mercedes like. They're not here to do anything but win. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're surely going to catch up by, by next year or the year after. No, well, um, thank you for those inspiring words, I think. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, I just, I, I really believe that to be the case. I also think we're seeing an ascendant Alpine. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Otmar made the switch for a reason. They'll probably use, use all of these, um, these uh, terrible love triangles that they've been involved with recently <laughs> to galvanize them further. But uh yeah, I just I see that all shaking out in a way that keeps at least three, if not four, teams competitive. Red Bull, yeah, again, you know, this particular race has us feeling a certain way, but Austria had us feeling entirely the yeah. different differently. So I think it's going to still be super close. We're going to see three, if not four, mature teams with excellent cars and excellent strategy and just killer driver lineups. It could be that every every year that comes after this is yet, is yet the best you know, uh, season in a decade. I'm super optimistic about Formula One right now. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Adam uh, seems to be really good at predictions because not only was that a stellar prediction that Mercedes will catch up, but he also is the winner of our Fantasy F1 League this week, which is crazy. It's the first time we've had a winner live with us. So crazy. The winner this week was... Yeah, Lotus Begin, everyone, by Adam D. from uh, I'm in California. I meant to say Canada. His team was Leclerc as his mega driver, as he told us, uh, Science as the turbo driver, Perez, Stroll, Schumacher, and Red Bull as his team. Funny that you're, both your mega driver and turbo drivers were Ferrari drivers when this was such a Red Bull dominant track, but you blew mm-hmm. out the competition on Fantasy F1, and you will be getting a track of the uh, Spa Francorchamps, 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 Spa. (laughs) 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 You'll be getting a 3D printed track of Spa. If you want your own track, please go to Etsy, Little Print 3D, use code SLOWPITSTOP to get 10% off your order. I've got Coda and I've got uh, Silverstone and I absolutely love them. Uh, Adam, any, any, any winning words you want to give us? I mean, it's just cool. I mean, my favorite tracks are Canada, Belgium, and, J- and Japan. It's kind of cool to be pulling in the lead on one of my favorite tracks. Yeah. So that's just like super exciting for me. And yeah, yeah, I've got the Ferrari guys. They were a better deal at the beginning of the year and you can't <laughs> afford everything. It was either Verstappen or Red Bull. And, you know, this yeah. you know, with Checo being consistently competitive as well, it was the move. I'm just excited. I don't expect to stay in the lead, but it's really fun. I've never done fantasy. 
Mm-hmm. And I actually think that it was some of my more subtle switches that put me ahead. Like I um, put Alonso instead of Ocon. I took out Bottas mm. for uh, mm. for Lance because I couldn't afford uh, Sebastian. Because it seems like Alfa Romeo can't keep it together, even if Bottas is excellent. <laughs> and then I made a mistake, which is I actually put Mick in ahead of instead of um, Kevin because they were similar price. And Mick was ahead of Kevin the last four races, but he didn't do that this race. So I need to reevaluate some of that. Well, incredible work. And hopefully you win uh, at least one more. And hopefully Lewis Hamilton wins at least one race this season. Uh, I'm praying for it on my knees. Um, that is our episode, you guys. We're going to be trying really hard to keep up with the triple header. It's always hard for us to keep up with the triple header and get episodes out on time. I will be traveling uh, to visit Arafat, actually. I'm leaving in a couple Yay. hours. So I'm oh, going to be hopping awesome. onto a jet. I know. Um, we're going to be trying to do for the next for the next Grand Prix, which is the Netherlands Grand Prix, the Dutch Grand Prix. We're going to try and do uh, an in-person uh podcast for that because otherwise i just won't be able to record it because uh, i'm not i'm going to be traveling but um we'll let you know how that goes and we'll put out a link so you guys can join us uh and, and listen to us talk live and you'll hear all of our mistakes and we won't edit anything out and then after that will be um the italian grand prix which i will be on a plane for so i don't know if i'll be able to watch it but we'll try to get an episode out on time for that for you guys we'll also be releasing all of our donuts and driver stuff from youtube audio versions of that will go on our podcast as well so if you haven't caught up you can listen to it there uh and then also we'll be catching up with bianca soon after japan so lots of new content for you guys to get ready for and uh, we'll also be doing some really cool giveaways and all that will be on our twitter so if you don't follow us on twitter twitter at slow pit stop also our instagram which is updated not as frequently but we'll still get all the important stuff on there at slow pit stop adam do you have something going on that you want people to follow you on any kind of social media uh, you can catch me, um, at Adam Dimitri. You'll have to just check the tags because it's basically unspellable. So when they at me, follow me. If you like interventional <laughs> neuroradiology, uh, I've been giving quite a few webinars recently, so that's actually been super fun. Um, and that's pretty much it. And you can check out the podcast I used to be on, which is a video gaming podcast where I role played cool. a doctor who used to diagnose video game characters with ailments that would befall them if they had to obey by the real world. Wait, that's um, incredible. Why haven't you told us about that? What is that called? That's like, <laughs> I mean, it was a lot of fun. That segment's finished, but the hosts are still very charming and entertaining. They run out of London, England, and it's called One Life Left. So that one's quite easy to find. That is so cool. I'm going to look Check that up that myself. Out. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. Don't forget, ban sausage curb everywhere. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.